Straight from the crow's nest, this day comes the new and approved Avian's Paragraphs. In, I'm Zan Marsh, and thank you for joining me on this fine day. Now, before we get into the show, there are two quick pieces of birdness I need to get out of the way. Unfortunately, Martin Salinas has been spotted telling a few fibs this episode, and refers to raccoons as rodents. So I am again left picking up the pieces and must apologize on Martin's behalf for his egregious error. As I am sure even the dullest of listeners knows by now, the raccoon is a member of the carnivora order, not Rodentia, as Martin was under the impression of there. <laughs> this I looked up on mentalfloss.com, so check it out yourself. There's a great article on there by the Miss Salania. It's called Rodent or Hot Rodent. Second order of burdenness covers an apology made by me on the show. Uh, it will now, I will now be forced to formally retract the apology. Unfortunately, both Tim and Martin got this one wrong, so my apology must be retracted. So when I apologize in the episode, you'll hear this sound. Instead of my apology, again, this sound. We'll play instead of my apology. Okay, and with that, we hope you enjoy this show in beautiful Weenus, Washington, or uh, Eagle Cap, Oregon. Let's get on with the show. Avian Paragraph is brought to you by Pacific Thought Foods and Orzoid Books, as well as viewers like you. Thank you so much. Welcome to all the birders out there, and potentially other people as well, as, as we cordially invite you to the mottled lakes of the Eagle Cap Wilderness in the beautiful Wallowa Mountains of eastern Oregon. Around us now are many trees, uh, somewhat similar to Weenus, Washington in that respect, and the beautiful golden light of an Oregon sunset here in Oregon, Washington. I mean, uh, Oregon, Oregon. Uh, uh, just Oregon. And it is green and gold again. I actually uh, planned on doing this introduction when uh, the sun was up, and it would have been gold because of the beautiful sunset we were experiencing, but it is a little bit darker now, so not green and gold, but uh, maybe AP after dark. Uh, we won't come out until the, the lights are out. So this is, e this is Aviary Paragraph's Eagle Cap Special. And I will be your perfect guide to this birder's paradise as host. Zan Mars, of course, I have with me, as always, birding pros, uh, Martin Salinas. Doing, doing great today, Zan. <laughs> well, that's, that's good to hear. And uh, Timothy Lequi, how are you? It's a pleasure to be here. That's fantastic. Um, and I expect that you would say that. Um, so as we continue on, we'll have to go through what we're going to be doing today. What is it, you ask? Well, <laughs> it's a full nest, as they will say. Uh, it's called Zan's Birding Book of the Week. We'll be doing this from now on, um, reviewing uh, the different uh, birding books that are out there, the literature that 
As a birder, you most likely should be reading. Uh, next, we'll be going into a birding buffet. We go into uh, other things and hide etiquette, as well as a new game. It's called Grouse, Gull, or Maple. And of course, uh, we have Mind of a Bird. And Tim's going to tell us a few of his uh, new birding tales. Tim, do you have anything to say about that? Uh, not not too much to say about that. I'm uh, kind of going back through my uh, memory and trying to pick out a couple a couple highlights from the a great summer birding. Sure. Yeah. So, were you you only bird summers now? You're saying it's oh, just I think uh, for for this episode since it is summer that uh it'd be appropriate to choose a story to tell that actually occurred this summer occurred this uh, so you're not going to tell any stories that were occurred uh during a different season obviously that's correct and could you give us a sneak peek perhaps on what the uh, story is going to be about um uh no you wouldn't feel comfortable doing that right now that's i that's don't want to spoil the surprise yeah. <laughs> understood and uh martin um anything to tell us about uh what we're doing here today? Well, then we we are set up at beautiful Douglas Lake, and as you described, we are kind of on that cusp of the golden hour and the time when owls kind of start to come out here. Maybe sometime around dusk. Um, the water is like glass, and trout are hitting the surface right and left. We've uh, had a wonderful afternoon, surrounded by mountain chickadees and red-breasted nuthatches and even a few warblers, which frankly, I don't know about you, Tim, but I was a little surprised to see up here at, I believe, uh, you know, maybe don't, don't pull out your topographic maps, but I think we're at about 7,600 feet here in the, the Wallawa Mountains. Yes, Martin, uh, it's fall migration is on, and so the warblers are moving through the landscape, and it's interesting that they would uh, find themselves at such a high elevation. One thing to add to that, I should say, I don't want to change the subject from birds as this show is about birds, but I was thinking when you were saying that trout were jumping in the pond, I was thinking, is this a fishtail? Uh, because actually my back is turned to the pond, but then I, I, I will say when I turned, turned my back back to the lake, uh, Lake Douglas, um, there were actually trout fishing, so you weren't lying to the viewers with that. And so I think we should go on to our first segment now, Zane's Birding Book of the Week. And this week, which is our first week with this particular segment, we're reviewing Sibley's Guidebook. So my review on Sibley's Guidebook, uh, I'll keep it short and sweet. I'm going to kind of give you the case against the cornerstone on this one. I would say uh, not a great book. Zane, um, i got to jump in. Did you say you were going to say that Sibley's, uh, that you w weren't? that into Sibley's? Well, I think there are alternative resources out there. Um, I think it's it's been eons uh, that uh, we've had birders using Sibley's as their referential material when they're uh, looking to ID a bird. You know, and I've heard that about some Peterson's. fresh blood. I've heard that about Peterson's, uh, maybe even in Nat Geo, but honestly, Sibley's, uh, short of Crossley, the Sibley's is in some ways a newcomer on the block. Just a little curious about the research and how you maybe compared to uh siblings to other books to come up with that uh well i i see i'm i when i was when i was doing this is more of a feeling and let, not not as much research was involved yeah, you, but, you, you mentioned some of those uh, alternative resources that you preferred to siblings uh could you give us some examples well there is a dk press actually they released a book uh, it's called uh, bird watchers um I would check that one out. It has a lot of resources for the up-and-coming bird watchers. Now, Zane, will we find those in the birding section, or is that in the children's books? No, that's going to be in the birding section. I think that's that's pretty obvious. Uh, I will say also... Isn't DK a, a science publication Well, I think we should, we should focus less on DK and more on Sibley's, because that's what this segment is about. And Sibley's, quite frankly, it, it was much too wordy. There were no pictures. There were absolutely, there wasn't a single picture in my copy of Sibley's guidebook. Tim, is your heart rate elevated? Are, are, are you talking about photographs or does pictures, the word picture include uh, illustrations by your definition? There I was from page to page, I was turning the pages and all I saw was writing, you know, Twisted nuthatch this, uh, red crested nuthatch that. I mean, there was nothing in there really that was an illustration or anything like that. Kind of a kind of a snore. 
you know, interesting because... And I think birders need to enjoy what they're doing. I think they deserve to have these illustrations and not have to muck through all this writing about the subject. Now, now for, for our listeners who I'm sure are aware of... It's of boring. It's, I'm just, it's boring. The book is bo- it's boring. One of the most cohesive uh, guides to North American birds, of course, is the Sibleys, given the fact that David Allen Sibley did indeed illustrate every single uh, illustration in the book. Whereas, not in my copy. Whereas other guides would use a composite of a variety of artists. Um, which often led to a kind of disjointed feel. Different artists had different takes on how to sort of uh, showcase uh, certain aspects of birds, be it beak size or certain colors. Whereas David Allen Sibley maintains uh, sort of a true character through each illustration. And as you learn the logic behind how those are illustrated, um, you, you really get a deeper appreciation for birding as a whole. So I just kind of wanted to add that maybe to temper Zan's clearly... Um, uh, maybe unresearched opinion. I would say that ultimately a lot of this back and forth here seems to be misguided on your part. I'm going to leave it at that. I think it, this it might be a case of uh, agree to disagree. But again, the Sibley's Guidebook, I wouldn't, I mean, it's something like $30, something $29.95, something like that. And you can find that uh, Not at a, any bookstore near you. Yeah, but I, if you if you did, I would say maybe, maybe put it in the trash at the bookstore because that shouldn't be on the shelf. It should be somewhere else. Next week, Jen, maybe um, have you looked at the Sibley's app at all? That's a, kind of an interesting, that's an interesting thing. Uh, perhaps maybe we'll do a Zane's Birding app of the week. Uh, another week, but it's not, it's not, that's not this week. So maybe we should continue on to the, to the next segment. Uh, and with that, uh, this is uh, Aving Paragraph and we'll be back after a short break. All right, welcome back, and uh, here we are again uh, here at uh, Douglas Lake. Uh, Tim, have you seen anything on the water since we've been here lately? Uh, any shorebirds or anything like that? Uh, no, no, I have not seen any any birds on the water. Um, but I will comment right now the the lake we are sitting next to is glassy smooth, um, with the exception of a few tiny trout jumping um, out on the lake and. It is. It's quite lovely. Do you um, do you like that sort of thing, or is that something you're into? Um, yeah, I'd say I'm pretty into it. Oh, that's great. So uh, going on, going ahead with our show, uh, our next subject is kind of a funny one: birder birding buffet. So if you do have an appetite, um, I'd say temper that appetite because we're going to be talking food. Everybody loves food, including the birds. Yeah. So yeah, that that is uh, that's true. Uh, what, what what do you think that the sort of uh, uh, food that um, uh, we like to put out for the birds? Uh, yeah. So we have so many different foods that we're going to be putting out for birds, uh, but obviously not every bird is going to like every food. I, I put out some almonds. I got I, I where I live. I actually have a pretty big uh, deck, and uh, I put out some almonds and deli meat, and actually did not attract any birds. Interesting thing. I'd say there are specific foods that you're going to want to put out. So it's not any old food. You could, could you? So Martin, have you ever reached into your? Uh, I'm, I'm assuming you have it. You do have a refrigerator at your house, right? I do. Okay, so have you ever reached in there, maybe pulled out a food at random and tried to put it out for a bird to eat, perhaps? You know, Zan, I did indeed uh, at one time have a rotisserie chicken that was only partially eaten, and, and I, I knew that uh, some tubers or turkey vultures had been moving through the area, and 
kind of wanted a closer look. So this, uh, it had kind of gotten uh, what we call in the danger zone, this chicken, mm, yeah. uh, had been left out a little too long. And, um, you know, I don't add meats to my compost. So I thought, well, I'll just, I'll set it out in the yard and maybe before a raccoon or some other rodent gets to it, I could attract a, a turkey vulture. And, and indeed, uh, actually did draw in uh, a turkey vulture in my very own uh, backyard there. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's, um, that's, that's interesting. So, uh, moving on, I think that we're going to be talking more about the setup of the birding buffet. So, I like to call them birding buffets, but obviously we are talking mo mo mainly about feeders and um, uh, suet feeders. Uh, what type of uh, grubs or raspberries, uh, anything you put out for these birds that they like in particular? Or, Well, uh, one favorite of mine to put out. I would say are mealworms. Those are a big. It's kind of gross, though, right? Uh, maybe to people, but to a, a thrush or a, any insectivore, mm. um, quite delicious. So they, I like those for bluebirds. Um, robins will will eat those. So. Definitely. Yeah. Tim, have you ever tried? I mean, just out of curiosity, uh, if it ever got the best of you, uh, have you ever tried any of the? I know it's, you know, I'm not advocating this for any listeners. This is not human grade food, but just curious if you have indeed uh, tried any of that uh, bird food that you put out for birds. Well, you know, uh, I'd like to say that uh, I had never done that, but uh, I must admit those suet cakes do look pretty, pretty tasty sometimes. And uh, I definitely found myself. Uh, Going in for a nibble here and there. Yeah, I've got to say, Tim, that I actually have indeed done the same thing. Um, again, listeners, we are not advocating that you do consume any bird seed or bird suet or any other variety of bird food that you may uh, find. Is These are not human-grade foods. Um, but I'll say probably the most intense experience that I had eating um, uh, bird suet was I had purchased some squirrel-proof suet that is very, very spicy. Uh, as a deterrent to the squirrels and i mean call it call it curiosity call it just sort of uh, the good old scientific method i wanted to observe and uh, test my hypothesis so i took uh, uh maybe a, a bit too healthy of a bite of that squirrel proof suet and uh needless to say <laughs> there was no more milk left in my house <laughs> yeah i mean the uh yeah the the fruit the forest nut flavor i do find being quite tasty um, sure sure uh, myself taking a bite or two um you know almost kind of peanut buttery texture and taste is it's really quite nice now zane i also just want to kind of comment on the fact that we are calling this a birding buffet um which i think speaks well to the fact that some people think about um feeding birds as putting out a bird feeder or simply uh putting out maybe the same uh, replicating that bird feeder and the same kind of seed but a true birding buffet i think is a good mixture of maybe hummingbird feeders yeah, and yeah. Uh, feeders for sparrows and other small songbirds, as well as suet feeders for woodpeckers, sure. um, which will eventually lead to one of the more controversial aspects of a birding buffet, which is the uh, tertiary scale, uh, at, at which point you get things like Cooper's hawks or sharpshed hawks coming in and actually feeding on the birds, which you have attracted mm. uh, to your feeders. Uh, so I don't know, has that happened to you, Zan, or Cortain? That has once before, not not my thing. Um, usually I'll try and put out, there. they have a product called Scary Eyes that will um, stop different birds from coming around so that they don't, um, they, their, their feces can be also a problem. So I put those out and the feeders out and not as many birds come into my yard anymore actually, but the feeders um they are pristine they're the cleanest feeders um i've seen around also just just to know i think there is a historical basis of suet eaters here in america there was something known as pemmican back in the day and um many people would eat it as a ration um uh in during wartime uh and that was made out of fat and seeds uh, so you're, you're not alone in terms of these uh, suet eaters but again we are not advocating to those listeners out there that they purchase um any bird suet, thinking that it is a replacement for pemmican. If you are going to try pemmican, we highly recommend doing so with the guidance of a trained historical reenactor. But with the caveat that 
some of those flavors of suet are quite tasty um, if you are so inclined. Now, do you um, find yourself ever putting out large foods, um, uh, Tim? Uh, ever? Because my experience is that when I put out large foods, larger birds come and they eat those foods and then just run up, run off with them. Because I, I actually am on the basis where, although I said my feeders are pristine, by my feeders I mean a bench outside of my house because I'm not actually using feeders. I'm just putting the food directly on a bench because I think it's just better you get more action that way. Well, I do like, uh, you know, if you're trying to target jays for feeding, you know, lining up a few peanuts and then they get the, the joy of cracking open that nut and uh, gobbling up the sweet. Wow. Um, yeah, I never thought of it inside. that way. Right. Definitely. Zane, any issues with rats? I know some some bird uh, bird enthusiasts or bird watchers. Well, um, I do. I do have a rat problem, but I just put out rat traps and they, that solves the problem. And we'll be right back. Alice is doing but indoors, may imagine. And I'm on that side, in my backyard, enjoying bats like Zan Marsh or Marcellinus or even Timothy Lacqui. You'll likely catch me inside, basking under the warm glow of a fireplace, my computer, or my lovely duvet. That's right, just like you, I am inside for some time. Whether inclement weather, pestilent creatures, or noisy neighbors, why not give inside a chance? So that we can all stop the spread. After all, what else do you have to do outside? But while you're in there, I would encourage you to take some time out for reflection. After all, you deserve it. And that's what Outdoors Inside is like. Outdoors reimagined to indoors will change your space, change your life, change your reality. So come join us, outdoors, indoors, or any other place. Here at Indoors Reimagined. This is Darwin Grin, and you have yourself a great day. Welcome back, listeners. Uh, here we are again. Um, we were just talking about something funny on the break. Uh, something We were just talking about something very funny during the break. Uh, Tim, uh, do you remember what we were talking about? Uh, well, Zan, you know, in these days of uh, cancel culture, you really can't be too careful about what you say on the air. And, you know, I'd, uh, I'd hate to have to see you go through that. Sure. And while we're on the topic, I'm going to go ahead and take a plunge into um, something that is probably undoubtedly going to get us into a little bit of trouble here. But I think it's just so important uh, that we that we talk about. Um, so, Zan, uh, Tim, you know, with your permission, uh, if, if I've piqued your curiosity, um, maybe I could dive into this topic a little bit. I have at it, my friend. Yes, please. Well, one thing we, we haven't mentioned for our listeners is that we are indeed recording uh, this Eagle Cap special uh, on September 11th, um, and which, of course, a very important date is a very important date. Uh, world changing event, uh, of course, happened when the World Trade Centers in New York City um, did indeed collapse. Over 3,000 Americans uh, perished that day. Undoubtedly, to- total tragedy. Um, so in the wake of September 11th, which which I think in some ways I'm, I'm going to say, you know, a tragedy and is somewhat of a separate issue here. The country chose to honor sort of the victims of, of that horrible, horrible day um, by erecting two towers of light where the World Trade Centers had been. Uh, those those light towers were so bright. Uh, and here they were in September, right in the middle of fall migration that it was actually drawing birds from miles away around these Towers of Light. And Audubon, 
I believe it was Audubon, it could, it could be mistaken, some uh, birding group kind of came out and, and made a bold move by... A stink, uh, so to say. Yeah. Basically, and said, we need to turn these towers off during uh, migration, which includes September 11th. Now, there was some agreement in the specifics of the agreement. Um, I'm not entirely sure on listeners. You know, you Hopefully, though, the towers are on. Hopefully. <laughs> I think in this case, for the birds, it's hopefully they aren't on. But ultimately... Sometimes it's not about the birds as well. So we need, do need to remember um, there's a lot to, that there is a lot to remember there. But, but I think the thing is that I was, with this joke conversation, I was trying to move us over to our next segment, which is that of hide etiquette. And what I was bringing it into uh, before we went on to discuss um, uh, the events of 9-11 and, and ultimately the, these lights that are, um, potentially uh, killing uh, thousands of birds that we talk about um, something perhaps less difficult to discuss. Um, so with your permission, I think we're going to move on. Martin. I, I think, think, I think lightening up those conversations, Dan, I think, we think we went move. to a dark place right now. I, um, I really do. And, and um, Tim, anything to say about that? Or? Yeah, I, uh, you know, it's a tough subject for everybody. Um, you know, that was a, an awful attack. Um, sure. But, uh... So let's go on yeah, to high let's, etiquette Let's then, move on. Ultimately, I think. And, um, what I was getting at with the segment, with the segment segue was joke-telling and laughter in a hide. <laughs> well, Zen, what are we talking about? A, a hide? A hide. Um, a hide would be... Do you, mean a, do you mean a blind? Well, a hide and a blind, I mean, they're synonyms to each other. Not, a hide is a little different, but... Not sure. Tim, maybe you can weigh in on this one, but I'm not sure that they are synonyms. I believe it's a blind. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm familiar with the the term hide well um, in the context of as, as a noun. but yeah, uh, yeah. well let's see a blind is where um you'd go to look at the birds in sort of a structure whereas the hide you make your hide and you hide in there looking at the birds so it's more about hiding with a hide whereas a blind you're you're um, blinding yourself by seeing so many of these beautiful birds and so when you are inside of a blind um, a lot of things happen, like, um, you know, uh, things that can distract birds. I mean, we have, for instance, um, crinkly foods can be a real issue. What I do when I make my hide, I take branches and sticks and brambles and set them up in a sort of a triangular formation with a little room inside for two men. Now, the last time I was making a hide with you, Zan, is you did make the mistake of bringing in a lot of Himalayan blackberry, which ended up being very uncomfortable with this. But it did provide you with my, the purpose was to provide us with food as well as cover, which is something I was about to go into. Uh, <laughs> um, so when we are doing the 24-hour run, um, we're, we're going to be in that hide for a long time. So I've made this blackberry bush, uh, sort of structure and there's enough room in there, just enough room for two men, one squatting over the other, one man, um, kneeling down, the other man squatting above. And, um, ultimately during this 24 hour run, you'll need to sleep in shifts. And there's kind of a little dance I like to do inside the hide, uh, to um, not not an actual dance, but it can it can be a dance to, to move around a little bit in of a, a birder's shuffle, right? Sure, yeah, a birder's shuffle. I think that's a good good term. Um, but uh, do you guys have any? You guys are the pros, obviously. Uh, um, do you have any tips for any any birders out there who want to get improve their stalking skills? Yeah, I mean, for those birders that um, maybe aren't on the younger side, I would say. Uh, sometimes when you're in the middle of stalking or, or spending time in a hide, um, you, the joints can really stiffen up. And so I highly recommend um, bringing some unscented toposerin as a product that, you know, I really enjoy using. Uh, just sort of just rub it on there and keep, um, keep myself able to kind of stay mobile even when I'm having to kind of lock in that uh, squat position 
uh, for hours on end. There was another product you were telling me about earlier today. I think it was called boron syrup that you've been adding to your uh, feet in order to um, stop uh, blisters. And so blisters can be a problem. Would you recommend boron syrup for that as well? Yeah, Zan, I um, actually don't know what boron syrup is. Uh, haven't heard of that before. I do but use other products. Oh, yeah, well, well, what was the product? Uh, maybe I got the wrong name here, but... Uh, like my load, so to speak. Yeah, so the, the I use kind of a mixture. I, I really, for my toes, I have uh, uh, maybe the beginnings of hammer toe, and so I'll, I'll use chamois butter. Uh, <laughs> okay, a little bit too much information. Perhaps Tim has something to say on this one. On the, on what now? On uh, hide etiquette. Do you have any uh, oh, tips right, or tricks hide, for... Hide. Right. Um, well, you know, I do say that it's... Uh, I often say this... Um, that it's important to bring a snack, you know. Oh, sure. Uh, you know, sometimes you're in there and, you know, tummy, tummy's grumbling a little bit. and can It can grumble loud enough to uh, to actually frighten the birds away. And, you mm. know, the only thing you can do to solve that problem is a tasty little snack. But well, if you're... Well, are we talking about foods here like uh, a fresh pink lady apple or maybe pork rinds or uh, pop rocks or... Uh, are those foods we should actually stay clear of? Uh, you know, maybe the, the the pop rocks are a little loud, um, so maybe not those ones. Uh, I guess the other ones can be a little loud, too. So, I mean, the apple's really not too loud. But, My pool boy Trevin's but, got me on this carnivore diet. It's been uh, unbelievable for me. But um, so I mean, jerky, that's a nice, quiet snack. Sure, sure. Or delicious, uh, you know... Rice Krispie treat with the you can see the marshmallows kind of melted. Uh, so melted I actually like to it. use pure gels, energy gels. You are talking about these snacks. You brought in this crinkly snack, and it was obviously on the mic. Is this the type of thing you're going to be doing in a in a hide when you're looking at birds? Because I, I I would think they'd be all frightened away. Looks like we're putting Tim on the spot here. I mean, you know, maybe you bring a little suet cake in your pocket, and you can. You know, bait them, draw them in with that. Sure, yeah. Um, any tips and tricks on uh, checking out the red-crested nuthatch from a um, hide? Uh... I think if you're if you're in that hide or blind, um, making sure that you have vantage points from a variety of angles so that you can still be birding by ear and, and maybe swiveling uh, with your partner. I know that Zan, when I was in with Zan, uh, I would be in the squat position, and when he would want to move 90 degrees... Now, that that applies for most likely every bird, Martin. We are looking for specifics on the red-breasted nuthatch, um, so that wasn't that helpful, but thank you. Uh, Tim, anything for, for the red-breasted nuthatch you think in particular birders should know when in, in, a, in a hide looking for the bird? Well, um, you know, I think if your, your hide is... Uh you know, in a desert or a, a big open grassland, you know, hmm. that might not be the best spot to position your hide yeah. because, uh, you know, these these red-breasted nuthatches do like trees um, and spend most of the time on trees. So, sure. you know, if you want to catch one, you're really going to have to set up shop somewhere with some trees that are in view of the, the blind, yeah. Go for the trees. And um, are there any jokes you tell? I know that morale can be an issue. Um, obviously, we both experienced that and when we when we were in the Hyde Martin earlier looking for birds. Um, are there any jokes you think that might be good, birder appropriate, that, uh, that you know of? Well, Zane, I always like to keep a couple boiled peanuts uh, you know, in the shell in my pocket. And sometimes in the Hyde, uh, spending that long with a, a, even a close birding partner, things can uh, you know, the the people can get on each other's nerves a little, aggravate each other a few moments. So just to kind of lighten the mood, I usually like to kind of pull those out and say, here you go. Uh, would you mind hatching this for me? Uh, <laughs> just to kind of have a little nut hatch uh, reference in there. Right, right. I, I know, remember when you made that joke, and I got to say, it's, it is it is a funny one. So um, that, th thanks for that, Martin. And uh, Tim, any jokes you've told in a hide that... Uh... Uh, you know, I... I honestly am not much for humor, to tell you the truth. Oh, yes. um, but uh, I will say I do have some uh, birding partners that I 
frequently go birding with who uh they really do enjoy limericks oh okay um, and yeah. that that really can just help the time fly by if, perhaps you know, some for, poetry in the hide yeah for some reason uh you know it's you know not a particular birdie day the you know hearing a few good limericks will really you sure. know uh, set your spirit soaring. I think that I think that that's a good uh, tr- tip or trick. Um, and with that, we're gonna take a break. 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 And we're back here on Aviary uh, Paragraph. Yeah, with a. New segment known as Grouse, Goal, or Maple. Uh, this is a personal favorite segment of mine. It's something I've been working on for a long time. Um, obviously, I haven't been birding that long, um, but I do enjoy birding. So I, I, I run into some issues I've noticed lately. Um, there are some different things out there that you can uh, sort of identify as being, let's say... Um, uh, a scoter, um, but then you're actually looking at a log, um, or you could say, hey, uh, what is that uh, thrush? Um, and ultimately, that's a rock. You know, Zan, in, in the, the birding circle that I run in, we call those stick birds. And <laughs> personally, I found that uh, even great birders, it's not something you grow out of, um, great birders are still spotting stick birds. And I think, um, and maybe this might be a little controversial, but I think if you're not spotting stick birds, uh, making those small mistakes, think of all the bird, actual birds that you're missing. Sure. I, I personally have used, fi- you know, every once in a while checking out a, something you think is a bird and ends up being a stick or a rock, uh, just to be a sign of, of a really observant uh, birder. You know, call it a cautionary tale. I've actually noticed that um, when I'm when I do identify a bird and then I find out that it's a rock, I actually am pleasantly surprised because um, I was thinking, why is that bird standing so still? You know, is something wrong with that bird? Um, and then you know, lo, uh, lo and behold, the bird uh, isn't there. There would never was a bird to begin with. Um, yeah, that's. I, I I can't help but think. Uh, about the time I was birding with you, um, and and we thought at first that we were seeing a, a bird, and then we we said no no it's really probably just a small stone on the we were actually hiking on Mount Rainier and between second and third Burroughs Mountain, mm, uh, yeah. and, and then uh, you know we said oh no it's just a stone but you know let's just check just to be sure, and we indeed when we we, we got our binoculars on it. Uh, it, we, what we thought was a bird and then thought was a stone turned out to be a juvenile lark. Uh, so really, I think, a uh, big reward for uh, maybe thinking that it was uh, just a stone, but then investigating a little farther and finding mm. a truly terrific, terrific bird, um, you know, high up in the mountains. Sure. And sometimes to be, it is, it can be said, it is more fun actually if you see a rock or something like that and just to imagine if it was a bird if you aren't seeing anything um, i would say why not try just imagining a bird is there so maybe if you do see a log and you know it's a log just change it into a bird could be a good exercise to kind of think about okay if this had to be a bird what what bird would it be you know and see if you can really narrow it in and then kind of pull out any uh field guide that you like uh, maybe except your for probably not sibley sibley's though and when I when I do um, when I ultimately I think that it that that information that that a uh, that information that about about the uh, the birds that I that I imagine are are there in those locales that could be technically useful information, and so on my eBird account actually I've been um, logging in the 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 stick birds as as you would say. Yeah, you definitely don't want to do that, Zan. That is uh, kind of disrupting the whole citizen science project that is eBird, and I think is a little disrespectful to both the Cornell Lab of Ornithology and uh, other eBirders, really all eBirders out there. Tim, uh, I don't know if you want to kind of weigh in on this one, reporting uh, birds, reporting birds that you definitely didn't see, but going ahead and reporting them to eBird. Is that a proper use of eBird? I know you're an avid user. Uh, no, I would say that is. Uh... That is probably the most disdained action 
uh, individual can take within the eBird community. Um, and there's, uh, yeah, there's a special place in hell for <laughs> birders who string birds like that. Zane, I know there's been uh, quite a few apologies in this episode that really the three of us have all had to give, but I think that the apology this time is just one that you owe to both me and to Tim and to our listeners. And to the birding community as a whole. Thank you very much. That was that was uh, grouse goal or maple, um, and we will we will see you after this next break. Thank you. Welcome back. Hey, it's Zan here at um, Avian Paragraph. And um, I'm here with Tim, obviously. And Tim, uh, we, we, we prefaced this earlier that you had a funny tale to tell us, or perhaps some sort of interesting tale. Um, I wasn't sure whether it was either of those things, so I'm kind of looking to you to fill in the gaps. Uh, is it interesting? Uh, I hope so. Yeah, um, sure. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's funny. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm really not much for humor. That's but, right. That's right. I'm sorry. Um, you know, we'll, we'll find out, you know, when we get our, uh, hopefully get some listener emails and you yeah. know, get some input, some feedback. To, well, the emails are already coming in on this one. So that's amazing. I haven't even told the story yet. But by the time the listeners are listening to this, they will have already heard the story to the, for that, that, that you just told. And so emails will be rolling in after this, following this. Yeah, I, I would say that's correct. And so what's your birding tale, Tim? Um, well, you know, one of my favorite birding locations is uh, Billy Frank Jr. in Nisqually National Wildlife Refuge. Um, Right in the South Puget Sound, uh, the the estuary of the Nisqually River, yeah. which has its headwaters in Mount Rainier, um, and it is a great birding area. Um, one of the well, I love to bird, so you'll probably find me there. I I hope so. Um, that that uh, refuge has is one of the the highest species counts of any any hot spot in. Uh, in the whole state, uh, and you can you can see a lot of really rare and interesting birds. Uh, one bird I really do enjoy um, and look for every time I go there is mm. uh, the American bittern. Um, really difficult bird to to, to find. Um, extremely cryptic. Mm. Uh, has unique behaviors that make it even more secretive than you know a normal heron which is related to I've like heard the, about like this the, bird's got a cult following though. yeah you know there's the the very very common great blue heron um and those are all over nasquali but uh every birder really uh really every time they go to that refuge is really keeping their eye out for bitterns because they're known mm. to frequent there but sure. are extremely difficult to see so i've uh, seen uh, quite a few actually there really yeah I find that hard to believe. Yeah. Well, you should you should get on eBird because I've seen quite a few. I am on eBird. Yeah. Well, check it out. Check out my profile because. Yeah. yeah, hopefully, uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, so, anyways, I was with a, a a colleague from work, and we had decided to to take a break from our uh, work duties and go enjoy a, a stroll out of the refuge. Yeah, um, something fun to do. You know, we're trying to get as many species as we. We can. Did a, you have a pedometer on at the time, or a what? You, a pedometer? Uh, no, I, uh, she may have had a pedometer. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. great. So you you probably have a recording of the number of steps you took on the stroll. Uh, I, I believe we do. I believe uh, I could get that information if if uh, you're curious. I'll have that uh, info in the show notes for our listeners. Well, then, yeah, I'll uh, I'll make sure to follow up and uh, get that information for you. Great, thanks. Um, yeah, so anyways, we're walking along, trying to get as many birds. Uh, we were having a pretty good day of birding out there. Um, yeah. 
and uh, uh, a middle-aged woman uh, walks up to me. Oh boy! Uh, she sees my scope and my binoculars. Yeah, and, you know, she can pretty easily ascertain that I'm out there looking at birds. It's a popular birding area. Boy, not a not yeah. an unfamiliar sight. Right. Um, so I'm walking along, and uh, she comes up to to talk to me and says, "Oh." Uh, right over there, um, there's a great blue heron. And, you know. Were you excited? I mean, that uh, must have been a real treat. Uh, no, they're actually one of the most common birds at oh, the refuge. Right. And, uh, you I, know, I knew that. I'm very sorry. nice lady. She means well. Right. Um, but, you know, if she was a real birder, she wouldn't be that interested in a <laughs> totally. great blue heron. Let's just totally. be honest here. Um, Anyway, so she. Uh... Dude, I do have to stop you there and just say that as a, as a, I, I consider myself a real birder and I still enjoy, uh, you know, looking at American robins and looking at great blue herons and um, do you, I'm gonna I'm do gonna you get there. Do you get excited though? I I do get excited, you know, because for me, Tim, it's not I just about previous species lists, but observing really fabulous behaviors. Mm. Um, like the time I got to stand, I was watching a Canada goose for about 20 minutes and it, it had been just standing in one spot and then it coughed. And I thought to myself, wow, I mean, what a treat, what a reward for just standing here mm. waiting, observing the behavior of this bird. For me, I'm most excited when I'm at REI buying a new piece of gear to go out and bird with. Anyways, so she's pointing out to the, out the heron and very nice lady. Yeah. I politely, uh entertain her oh thanks, thanks. good <laughs> spot for sure uh, right right and right. uh keep walking and uh yeah didn't notice while we were talking my colleagues trying to get my attention oh, uh, looking over the the south side of the dike really? over the freshwater marsh uh, oh. and once the lady uh continued on her way mm. uh with a you know smile on her face uh self-satisfied that she had just uh <laughs> you know yeah given a great Birding tip right. uh, to uh, a great birding a tip about heron, a great blue heron. About a great blue heron. Uh, my colleague informed yeah. me that while I was talking to her, I missed a uh, American bittern flying by. Um, oh, a sight that I I've seen them on the ground. That must have been really painful. Never seen one in flight. Uh, something I'd always wanted to see, and uh, yeah. I was quite disappointed. Very painful. I would suggest that you kind of take that and perhaps stuff it down emotionally, and that might help you with this if you kind of keep that to yourself and just forget about it. So this is kind of good because it's been a learning experience for you, a learning experience for me. And, and um, I can't say that I feel like I've really learned much. Um, just you know. Disappointment, I guess, that I missed the, the flying bitter. Yeah. Definitely. Well, th well, thank you for that, Tim. That yeah, was, I've was... really been been stewing on it. You know? Yeah. Well, sometimes, you, you know, you you do. You you stew. Yeah, I I just can't help it. Yeah, I I, I get that. It some... just really, yeah, really got. One time, this me. guy at the grocery store cut me in line, and I was thinking about it all night long after that, but. Um, anyhow, we should probably move on um, to Mind of a Bird with Martin Salinas. Surprise! Here we are with Mind of a Bird. Martin, you excited about this one? I am very excited, Sam. All right, and what bird are we getting in the mind of today? Today is going to be, uh, you know, here we are in beautiful Oregon, sure. uh, in the Eagle Cap Wilderness, and, and we've been treated to uh, a number of birds, but the one to me that's been the most uh, prevalent, that's been kind of seeping in, uh, to my birding senses has been the red-breasted nuthatch. Um, and so today we are going to be going into the mind of the red-breasted nuthatch. Excellent. See you in there. It's me. No, no, it's not a pig. It's not a white-breasted It's me. It's a red-breasted nuthatch. Red 
Thanks uh, with that, Martin. That's that's great. Um, so uh, that is the end. That is the conclusion of our Eagle Cap special here in beautiful um, uh, Weenus, Oregon. Or, sorry, that's um, Wallowa, Oregon. Uh, here in the Eagle Cap Wilderness. And uh, as always, Tim Timothy Lackey here. It was a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you here, Tim. Thanks so much. And uh, Martin Salinas. Get out there and go, Bird. And this is Zan Mars signing off here from AP Studios, which is here in Eagle Cap Special. Thank you. Yeah.